there are examples of Asians in the game, both male and female. I just think there's not enough. Hopefully we can do more to try and encourage that. There are many more Asians involved in football than you would think. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Our Game 2 podcast. This week we're joined by a very special guest, Dow Daroch, hope I pronounced that correctly, who is Head of Diversity and Inclusion at the FA. Welcome, Dow. Hello, thanks for having me. No problem at all. So, Dow, first of all, I'll ask you a couple of questions just to so that everyone can find out who you are. So you're from the Midlands. What is your ethnic background, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so I am uh, British Asian, Sikh by religion, uh, third generation British Asian living in the Midlands. Fantastic. Just out of curiosity, who do you support? I am a Wolves boy, born and bred. So from the black country, I'm a Wolves fan. Okay, so you must be quite chuffed with how everything's been going the last couple of years. Can't complain. Can't complain. It's been a good couple of years and hopefully that will continue yeah no i wish you guys all the success for this season okay so would you like to start by just telling us your personal journey both in terms of football and and work how and how you ended up at the fa in the role that you're in yeah i mean i, I kind of studied the traditional uh, business route so i went through you know university etc in uh, working in um, after university working in um, large business transformation type roles so i spent over a decade in the big four world um so i was doing a global transformation role where I would primarily work on the people and change agenda. So any kind of big transformation program, <clears throat> whether it be you know a finance transformation or a procurement transformation or a IT transformation in particular, then I would have global clients where I would be leading on the people and change agenda. So what that really means is helping organizations to take their people on a journey within that is embedded you know the the um the whole kind of thought around equity and inclusion because of course the way in which you get change to happen the way that you make change stick is by taking people on the journey with you so um it was kind of you know kind of doing the diversity where it was always embedded in what i was doing but not necessarily the primary focus of my role so my work would include things like the management of change communication strategies organization design culture change and i did that for so many years and then I transitioned into FA on a short kind of secondment role, took some time out of my uh, main career. I wanted to go and spend some time and have a new cycle of experience. So I went into England teams. I became head of programs in the England teams division in 2018. And that was just before Gareth Southgate took his squad out to the World Cup for Russia, uh, Russia 2018. And so I was really kind of behind the scenes seeing what was happening there and helping the, the England teams division to set up their new program structure for the following season. And so, you know, enjoyed it so much, I ended up picking up an interim role in diversity and inclusion just to help them around, again, around program management, what they were delivering and how that looks, you know, and having the rigor in place to manage and deliver programs, because obviously that's kind of my bread and butter, really. And then, you know, one thing led to another, really, and I ended up staying and, and you know, picked up the role in this permanency um, later on. So, you know, nearly two and a half, yeah, about two and a half years later now, I, you know, firmly in the role of doing um, diversity and inclusion work at the FA. Fantastic. And what, what attracted you to the role? Was it the fact of working in football or was it the ability to make a change or 
potential that you saw? What was it? It's a variety of things, to be honest. One is that I've always played football as a youngster. I played Sunday League. I played for my school. I captained my school between junior school and secondary school. I've had some experience with the trial system, with, you know, kind of the scouting system. I never really got past um, kind of being selected for Sunday League. And I kind of fell out of love with football from about the age of 15 or 16. I just didn't feel the game was set up for me. And, you know, that's probably maybe a wrong attitude. I don't know. But, you know, there were many kids who I knew that were primarily from an Asian background that didn't seem to be making much headway in football or, you know, making it into pro clubs or making it into academies, for example. And so I kind of switched off and followed the traditional route. But I've always loved the game. You know, I've always was football mad as a kid. I've always kind of followed the game despite, you know, doing a slightly different career. But my my role in my main job was always multi-industry. So I'd worked in oil and gas, retail, government, uh, banking, you know, finance, etc. And so what it really equips me with is the skills, the transferable skills to bring into an industry like sport, you know, which has its challenges. So it was about doing something different. It was about the altruistic nature of this job in particular, because you are giving back through the biggest sport in this country. You know, it's it's um, something that highly attracted me. Uh, and secondly, yes, it's football. You know, it's the FA. It's, uh, it's a place where you could make a real difference. And so for me, a combination of all those things, transferable skills and wanting to make change happen is what really attracted me to, to continue to stay at the FA. I mean, I, you know, I would have gone back to my old career eventually, but uh, I loved it so much in the FA that I thought, you know, why not give this a crack? This is something that I enjoy. It's about delivery of programs. It's about delivery of ways of working. It's about doing things differently. It's about bringing people into the into the fold. It's about appreciating diversity and cognitive diversity. All of the kind of things from a people and change agenda that really um, interest me, given that that was the focus of my job for over 10 years. So to me, it was a bit of a no-brainer. So head of diversity and inclusion, what does that mean? Explain diversity, explain inclusion in terms of your role and all the vast myriad of different types of people people there are in the UK. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we when we talk about diversity, we are talking about the different types of people and communities, you know, across our country. And we have a three-year strategy through which we are delivering equality, diversity, inclusion. Uh, inclusion is really, you know, about bringing people to the party because you can have diversity in a room, for example, but you, you might not necessarily get the best out of them. So the inclusion piece really is about finding ways in which you get the best out of the individuals around you. So for example, you know, if you have got a team of very diverse people, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the best out of them and you're getting that diversity of thought. There could be people feeling like, you know, they are not in a position to say what they're thinking. They're not in a position to um, provide ideas in the way they want to. They can't be, you know, creatively expressive and so really you know the the whole concept of it is that first of all through diversity you have the mixture of thoughts people experience in the room and through inclusion you get the best out of these individuals by setting up your organization or you know your team or your activities in a way in which you get the best out of the people around you so our three-year strategy which is known as in pursuit of progress was launched in 2018 Um, We are now two seasons in. We have one year left. That is really the essence of what we're doing across diversity and inclusion within the FA and English football. It's uh, broken down into four key areas. One of them is around our own culture, the FA itself. You know, if we hold up a mirror to ourselves, are we truly reflective of the society that we serve? You know, so that's looking at things like recruitment and sporting leaders and talent, reducing pay gaps, holding people to account. You know, promoting diversity at board level and councils, um, improving some of the data that we've got. And then we've got our elite side of the game, football elite side with England teams, 
which is you know all the things we do around making sure that we bring in qualified and diverse candidates for England roles, for example, you know technical roles, whether it's providing coaching placements, for example, to underrepresented groups. It could be supporting leaders of the future that are female or BAME. It's providing things like bursaries that some of our people do in the technical division, supporting elite disability, you know, some of the coaching pathways that sit in disability, for example. So there's many things going on in the England team side. And then we've also got the grassroots world as well, which is around working with the county FAs across the country. Um, And that is really about continuing to support county FAs to develop best practice in terms of diversity inclusion and what they roll out to working with their individual inclusion advisory groups. Um, every county FA has an individual inclusion advisory group. And so, you know, those are the groups that hold local county FAs to account and what they do to reflect their, well, to reflect the demographics of their locality. Um, and then there's a lot of bespoke programs that sit in there, such as Asian inclusion, faith and football, refugee and asylum seekers, etc., etc. And so um, that's where the Asian inclusion work sits primarily, but it is an inclusion program that works across the game. And then the fourth pillar is the general inclusion programs like LGBT in football, mental health, promoting colorblindness, etc., etc. So there's lots of stuff going on across the remit. Um, and my focus is primarily focusing on the elite side and the grassroots side of things, as well as some of our inclusion programs. The FA and our culture pieces is, is primarily picked up through our HR um, lead. Um, but between us, you know, we, we cover off what we everything we want to do across football through this uh, particular strategy. Okay, you mentioned the, re- the FA's remit. For people who are not quite sure, because if you have a conversation with someone and start talking about the lack of Asians in football, they'll, they'll immediately think of the Premier League, which is obviously the biggest beast there is in world football, pretty much, and, and possibly the England team as well. So could you just explain what the remit of the FA is in regards to football in the UK and how it either works or doesn't work with the EFL and the Premier League? Yeah, so the FA regulate the game. So anything in terms of charging and sanctions and those kind of things. So, you know, conduct in the game. The FA look after coaching, um, education um, and a variety of things that we do to basically regulate the game across um, every aspect of the game. What we don't do is, you know, for example, dictate to clubs how they would recruit locally, for example, or how their scouting system works. Um, Because every club, especially at the top level, as you mentioned, are independent organisations with their own boards and own governance structures. And primarily, you know, they're running as businesses. And so if you were to say, do the FA influence, you know, Man United, for example, on how they recruit people within their organization the answer is no so we don't you know we, we wouldn't necessarily influence on that perspective however having said that the, the the fa have launched recently a new diversity code which will help influence what clubs are doing to ensure that there is diversity at both the coaching and leadership level within their respective clubs um, and that is something that will you know change the game but you know we do everything around grassroots football we work closely with the county FAs. you know there's funding that's administered um we operate the england teams of course so you know all of the 28 or so national teams which range from gareth and phil neville squads right down to you know our uh, development squads right down to under 15s uh disability squads blind squads deaf futsal um etc so you know we regulate all of that and we also look after the WSL and, uh, you know, there's a division that looks after the women's game as well. So, you know, the remit is huge, but there is a slight um, disparity in what people think the FA do versus what we do with professional clubs in the men's game, for example, where we potentially have less of an influence. Right. So 28 squads. Wow. I didn't realise there were that many. Yeah, there is. 
So in talking about the inclusion and going coming back to Asians in football, would can you, because I know you've had the road shows and you, you're in the middle of, uh, I think, I believe it's a four-year strategy currently. Would you like to explain a little bit? Yeah, so the, the Asian inclusion strategy is our strategy known as bringing opportunities to communities part two. So before 2019, there was quite a bit of work being done over the last, you know, five years before that, where a variety of individuals at the FA were looking to improve the levels of Asian participation across the game. What does participate mean for you? So for me, participation is about continuing to encourage more people from Asian backgrounds to play the game, whether it's recreationally, but also into organised football as well, you know, from an affiliated football perspective. And what that should do eventually is see more people from an Asian background getting into, you know, kind of national league, semi-pro type football, and eventually a filter through into the professional game. The challenge that we've got is that, you know, some of the things that perhaps are happening in the world of football, you know, that are outside of the FA's control is potentially hampering the advancement of Asians in the game. But we can come on to that. I mean, in terms of what we are doing, in 2019, uh, we launched, as I've said, you know, the Asian Inclusion Strategy Part 2, which was a refresh plan. And our role really was to address five key areas. One is to embed Asian inclusion across the FA and across its people. Because I think, you know, one of the things we wanted to make absolutely clear to our stakeholders across the game is that the FA takes Asian inclusion seriously. Given that the Asian population is probably the largest in the UK or in in this country, in England, you know, when we talk about 4 billion or so people, 8% of our population, very, very nuanced, obviously, there's Bangladeshi, Pakistani, Indian, you know, Punjabi, various, various communities. And so it's very important that those nuances are understood. And secondly, that it's taken seriously at the top level of our organisation. So there's a whole piece around embedding Asian inclusion into the FA to make sure it's part of the overall strategy and remit. The second and third thing was around pathways into football. So, you know, do Asian communities truly understand the pathways? Do they understand what it means to make it to Premier League manager, for example? You know, in the same way that you would study to become a doctor is kind of the same way which you get to a top level coaching position. And I think, you know, we need to ensure that people understand what that pathway and journey looks like. So, you know, really about raising awareness. And then the second point to that is around grassroots football. It's continuing to try and work with the grassroots football community to ensure that those levels of participation, because we know that Asians play a lot of football recreationally. We know that there's massive interest in the game to continue to play in grassroots football. We, we want to also create a separate kind of offering for the Asian female participation um, piece, which is, you know, helping Asian females or encouraging more Asian females to get involved in the game and to try to develop those opportunities. And then this whole thing, the fifth area, really, the whole thing is underpinned by better engagement and communication between the FA and its communities, you know, the FA and Asian communities. Because I think one of the things that perhaps we've been lacking in the past has been just not talking enough to these communities. You know, when you offset that against a perception that football is not potentially accessible for Asian people, then you've got, you know, a recipe for Asians generally not making massive progress in the game. You know, over the last 20 years or so, I think there has been progress made and there are role models in the game, clear examples of people that are playing at Premier League level, playing at, you know, kind of um, below the Premier League, playing in National League, playing lots of grassroots football. There are examples of coaches that are now making their way to A licence, UA for A licences in terms of coaching. There are Asians that are playing in the female game, working, you know, in in the WSL, for example. There are players that are female, Asian, that are England development squad players, for example, that may one day make it to the Lionesses top squad. There are loads of examples 
of Asians that exist within football. And that's just playing and coaching that I'm referring to. But, you know, those role models are potentially far, you know, far and few between given the size of the overall population. So there is something around just making sure that we create more engagement and communication between what we do and what Asian communities are expecting to to see and hear from us. Okay, so you've you've got those five pillars. How are you rolling those five pillars out? We are rolling those five pillars out through a dedicated team that obviously do lots of other things across diversity inclusion in football, but are gathering to try and develop the momentum to roll out as much of this work as possible. So we are now roughly one year in, just over a year in, in terms of when we launched bringing opportunities communities phase two. You know, we were very clear about what we thought some of the key issues were and what we're going to try and do differently. And so, you know, safe to say at this stage, big focus of year one has been around changing perceptions, has been around engaging um, and trying to find ways in which we are continuing to engage our audiences. Because while the people that came to, came to our roadshows in early 2019, we did three or four roadshows and then they were cut by COVID at the time. But it was very clear that, you know, there is a level of frustration amongst Asian communities because they don't ever feel that, you know, things are moving on. However, if you dig deeper, there are really great examples of the kind of things that the FA are doing to try and develop, for example, Asian coaches. There's work that the PFA are doing to develop Asian players. You know, there's a work that the FA is doing to develop Asian female coaches, for example. You know, there's conversations happening to continue to give oversight on the pathways for Asians um, to get into football. You know, there's more examples of Asians now that are working behind the scenes from an administration perspective. And, we, you know, we've got really good examples of the things we've done from a comms and engagement perspective this year, as in the last season, to try and engage more people. You know, we partner with one of the leading um, ethnic channels, Britasia TV, to do more with them, to try and get the message out there. You know, we've had two or three campaigns with them now. It's all slow slow building things that we need to do that will turn a perception around over a larger period of time. I know it's early, yeah, if it's, it's been a year, but what sort of successes have you seen? So I'd say, you know, from, from our perspective, one of the things I would mention from a Pathways point of view is the number of bursaries that have been awarded to people of Asian background. We normally award between 170 to 200 bursaries per year over the last few years anyway. And, you know, there are more and more coaches coming through that are making the way from UEFA B to UEFA A, for example. At the top end of the game, there's been been um, some really good examples of of work that's been done in that space to to enable more coaches to get to that kind of level you know both from a, helping them financially but also helping them with the requisite skills and experience plenty of work being done with with county FAs in order to try and upskill some of their IAGs not necessarily just about Asian inclusion but about helping them to recognize what some of the key issues are around DNI and um, diversity inclusion across the board you know like the rise of nationalism you know the impact of brexit and, and what's that what that's done to public sentiment across the country what we're not saying is that the fa can solve the ills of society but what we are saying is that you know we are a we are definitely a, a mechanism a delivery vehicle through which we can make change happen i think there's you know the asian piece in particular the community engagement piece has ramped up quite a lot we we helped the Up and Out England Supporters Club to launch um, over the last season, you know, really about helping more Asians to consume the game, but actually come to, you know, match safe venues, for example, come to Wembley and follow England. Um, we've, we've profiled a number of role models across uh, the female game. Rosie Kamita is a good example. She was the first ever Asian female contracted in the WSL, played for West Ham, your team, you know, and, and developing some of the role models there. And then, the, you know, from a comms perspective, as I mentioned, you know, we did we did a campaign with Brit Asia TV where we were profiling some of our role models. We went to their Asian Music Awards and really pushed the agenda of getting more Asians into football, um, you know, creating awareness. And now we're following up with, you know, more kind of comms opportunities for us to 
um, really develop awareness. You know, the awareness is really key because you, you'd go around talking to various individuals. And to be honest, the people that come to the roadshows are generally the ones that are either working in the game or close to the game in some way. But actually, there's the other 98% of the Asian population that haven't even considered sport or football as a viable career option or you know something that they could do or develop, uh, whether it's grassroots or anything else. And so I think our work is not just about developing those that already have a vested interest in the game. It's also about attracting those that have no interest in the game at the moment, which is really important, which is why the comms and engagement work is continuing to ramp up. I think you were not at the roadshow. I think somebody mentioned the FA's own inclusivity and diversity figures had improved over the last few years. I think it might be, I believe one of the, the non-execs is is Rupert Baines. Is that right? Is Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, one of our non-execs is Rupinda Baines, who, of course, is um, you know of Asian origin, and she sits on the FA board. Okay, and in terms of the numbers or the... the the mix of the people that are employed at the FA? Yeah, I mean, there's different ways of, of looking at this. You know, we, we are very clear in, in Pursuit of Progress in our equality strategy that there are what we're really after over the next three years, or at least the year remaining of this strategy, which is, takes us to the end of 2021, is that we wanted to increase the level of representation for both females and people from BAME communities. And so, yes, there have been some successes already. You know, for example, the number of people from a BAME perspective in our England coaching setup, for example. So if you have a technical role, you know, you could be a physio or you could be um, an assistant coach or a specialist coach or any of those kind of, you know, anything's football focused in terms of the technical division. You know, we started in 2018 with about 13% of those technical um, staff were from a BAME background. We are now at about 20 plus percent, 22 percent. But our target by the end of next year is 20 percent. So we're already above target. We're ahead of our three-year plan. And so there are really good examples of successes, you know, of, of where things have changed quite dramatically. Another good example is, you know, if we think about overall levels of BAME representation across our entire employee population, you know, we started at around 12 to 13 percent. We're still there at the moment. <laughs> but we have an aspiration to try and get to 16% or so, uh, which is relatively large given that we're a quite a small organisation. And so, you know, there are good examples of where um, things are changing. Of course, that's down to better recruitment practices and the, the implementation of the Rooney Rule, for example, for all coaching type positions has helped. Um, you know, the Rooney Rule is something that we adopted from the US, um, the principles of the Rooney Rule, which is really about ensuring that more people from underrepresented groups get to a uh, post-screening stage where they're allowed to get to interview, providing they've got the right skills and experience, and then gives, you know, those individuals an opportunity to gain employment. It's not tokenism. It's completely based on merit, but it's almost sanctioning the necessity to bring in people with the skills and experience to get to a stage that gives them equal opportunity and the potential to get a role. Okay, so moving forward, what's the next stage of the plan? So the next stage of the plan really is to build what we've done in year one. I mean, we're going to come out shortly with a year one update of the Asian inclusion strategy, um, because, of course, we're now at the end of the first season. COVID-19, of course, hasn't helped. Um, It hasn't helped any industry. Uh, And so we did have to you know, stop doing our road shows, for example, we had to stop going on the road and, you know, those kind of things. But actually, we're going to continue to focus on the key areas of bringing opportunities to communities, which is around pathways in grassroots football, female football, 
and overall levels of comms and engagement. I think, you know, we're going to continue to do targeted comms. We're going to do more networking and sharing. We're going to look at the match day experiences and some of the fan engagement. Um, we'll continue to focus on role models. That's really, really important. You know, we will continue to work with some of the county affairs and bring Asian inclusion onto the table. We will provide, you know, pathways and continue with bursaries as, for as long as we can, you know, in terms of helping coaches. Um, there's plenty of things that we're going to continue to do, you know, community engagement, all the things that we're allowed to do once we're back on the road. So I don't think the strategy is, <clears throat> is massively changing. I think we need to ramp up some of the work we're doing in female football, for example. You know, we're looking now at the how we look towards the legacy of the Euros, uh, the women's Euros in, the, in 2022, and looking at the cities there that were behind, that are going to be behind the Euros. Some of those cities have high female Asian populations. So, you know, there's plenty of work forward-looking work we need to do to ensure that we make the best of some of the events coming up to have the biggest impact on the Asian populations that we can. But, you know, this is no easy task. This is this is difficult. Um, and it's very easy to sometimes look at the FA and say it's just not doing enough. But, you know, these, this is, we're trying to influence a huge population here, millions of individuals, but, you know, not, not taking away the fact that it has been difficult for Asian generations over the years. And, you know, the, the statistics are there. You can see in the pro game that there's you know, there is a low level of, of Asians in the game, but hopefully, you know, we can continue to try and influence that in the best way possible. Is there anything that you would like to see from the Asian population in terms of support, communication, engagement, etc.? Um, I would, I mean, you know, as someone that's from the Asian community and someone that has been involved in football and someone has played football as a youngster, I completely understand some of the frustrations from various individuals. I think like any industry, when you want to progress in a certain industry, you know, if you want to become a lawyer, you go to law school and you, you know, you, 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 you see your exams, you do the, all the various things to get you to that top level. And, you know, I guess a message to, to everybody is to just continue to persevere and don't let any, any perceived barriers um, or any barriers for that matter to, to get in your way. You know, it is, it is an industry that perhaps, you know, needs a little bit of shake up in certain places, you know, and, and, and academics have said that, you know, things like scouting could be better and, you know, the uh, the networking piece could be better. You know, there's, there's various things that various academics have said are lacking in the industry. But I would certainly like to see the Asian communities really embrace what the FA is doing, you know, if that's entirely possible, and to look at us with a positive light. You know, we have very positive intent and hopefully, you know, that will come through in some of the work that we're doing and that we're very sincere about what we're trying to achieve here. But, you know, we are also limited in terms of over the years, maybe, that you know, there's been less resource aimed at this particular space. But, you know, that is all changing now. You know, there are people there with um, the lived experience and, and someone, you know, people that can relate to these communities and I can only hope that things are going to get better. So, you know, my, my, I guess my call to Asian communities is, you know, just take what we're doing with open arms and, and hopefully it will help anyone trying to get into football, regardless of what you're doing, to to succeed. On a personal level, so not not through the FA, because through the FA, you're assuming you're only going to come across people that are interested in improving the number of Asians that participate in, in sport. But personally, when you tell people what your role is, what you do, etc., do you get, do you find there's any resistance that people either dismissive of the possibilities or just close-minded um not really i have to say i generally if i tell someone about what i do it's really it's usually they're very interested because of course football just appeals to so many people think about the stats around football spectators in this country it's like half the population so generally it's quite an interest interesting topic for people to talk about when you say you're in football i think those that have a slightly more closed opinion of 
FA of the FA and football. It's generally people that have been around the game for a while and kind of know, um, you know, perhaps where things haven't worked so well. But generally, I, I, I don't think I've encountered a lot of resistance. I mean, on the road shows, you do get those individuals that feel that more could be done. And, you know, that's that's what we're here to do is to listen. You know, everyone that we go around and speak to, they are stakeholders of the game, and I'm very open to listening to them. You know, so when people have got really good ideas about how to do things differently, always happy to listen to them. So yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say that. Um, it's been overly resistant or there's been a lot of negativity. I, I would say that it's it's generally quite neutral. Okay, I'm glad. The reason I asked the question is my own personal experience. If I, if I broach a subject with anybody, usually what I get is just complete acceptance of the idea that there are no agents in football. Yeah. And that will be followed by two or three reasons, such as education focus, size, our physical demeanor, etc. Which, which I personally believe is is all to do with biases and what for whatever reason, as opposed to the bit there actually being any truth in that. But that's the reason why I asked the question. Yeah, I mean, you know, whether those kind of things that you mentioned are true or not. I guess it's down to the individuals in question, you know, the people that are potentially making those decisions. We, we do know that those kind of stereotypes do exist, you know, about Asians not being tall enough or um, not having the right diets or, you know, all of those kind of things. Doesn't necessarily mean that every person in the, you know, who works in football is feeling that way. But if that is a, if that is a barrier that we, we need to encounter and change or at least change those perceptions, you know, we will try and do that. I've heard that a number of times, you know, I've heard various people say, oh, you know, is it because Asians generally don't have the profile to play football it's because the diet's not right or they're not tall enough for all these, or they haven't got the right build. If that was the case, then why have we got Asians playing in the Premier League? You know, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer. I mean, I think there are examples of Asians in the game, both male and female. I just think there's not enough. And I think, you know, hopefully we can do more to try and encourage that. Um, and also, you know, encourage the clubs to to do that from starting from a young age as well and bringing, you know, more kids from Asian backgrounds into the academies, for example, um, and helping them to to make their way through to the, you know, to the senior squad. And so lastly, just to wrap up, if people do want to see what the FA is up to and possibly follow you, what's the best way of them doing that? Um, so you can have a look at everything we do on FA.com. It's FA.com forward slash Asian inclusion. That will give you a breakdown of all the things that we're doing across you know this particular agenda um it will give you a summary of what our strategy is and the kind of things we are delivering over the next couple of years at least you know documents are there and available to view there are some videos and various things that can help you to you know kind of bring you up to speed and then if people want to contact me directly you know i'm on twitter and uh, that's usually the best place really you know people reach out and have things that they want to talk about that's absolutely fine so really that's the place fantastic dal thank you very much for your time thanks a lot apu thank you Thank you for having me.